guys. Welcome to the Revive Stronger podcast. I'm your host as always, Steve Hall. And today I have a very exciting roundtable all about peak week and I have three very intelligent guys, all natural bodybuilders, all taken tons of bodybuilders to stage uh, and have had some tremendous success with their clients. Also probably some like not great experiences with peak week as all of us have. And I'm really excited to have these guys all here to bounce off one another and talk about peak week and various strategies and things that have gone incredibly well for them. Uh, this was inspired by Jeff Nippard's uh, peak week roundtable that he did many years ago. And I wanted to kind of bring this to life again because it hasn't happened. So thank you guys all for being here. Very excited to have Eric Helms, Peter Fishin, and Cliff Wilson on the podcast. All these guys have been on before and hopefully you check them out and check those episodes out before. To start, I guess, let's start with Cliff, um, just discussing maybe who Peak Week is for and isn't for, because I know a lot of people kind of listening to this might not be fully aware of what, like, true Peak Week, who is it for and who isn't it for, or discussing kind of that idea, and um, we're obviously going to be talking mostly about kind of natural trainees throughout this discussion. Um, yeah, yeah, so um, Peak Week is going to be for physique athletes getting to stage. I would say there's some application for peak week for those like doing photo shoots or something like that. But, you know, for the most part, when we're going to get down to the nitty gritty of um, adjusting these variables to a, um, to a real precise degree, we're going to mostly end up with physique competitors, which would be like bikini competitors, um, you know, men's and women's physique, figure, bodybuilding. And, uh, and one thing that, you know, people will find as we go on in this discussion is that, um, there are sometimes different techniques that work better for one category versus another, but really it's just going to be that final week that takes you into your show that has you, um, really optimizing every variable to look your best on this given day. Awesome. Cool. So it's basically, yeah, for people who are yeah, looking to look their best for a certain time. And I guess, do you think there's any kind of, you said photo shoots, do you think, you have to be a particular level of leanness to really see a benefit for a photo shoot or do you think even for just the average guy who's just like trying to get a photo shoot done do you think that it, they need to think about peak week much and the variables yeah um i mean I, I would even say this goes for i think the guys will probably agree here um even when you're talking about a physique competitor someone who's stepping on stage i still think that um really most of the variables are going to work best if you are of the appropriate leanness um because i, I think a lot of times People trying to peak themselves when um, they're not lean enough will lead to some, uh, I mean, it's just not going to do a whole lot because it seems like um, as someone gets leaner and leaner, there seems to be a little bit more um, variation in their day-to-day -day look. Everything just seems to make a bigger difference. Like when we're in our off season, you know, we live in our bodies. So it's like a, we can always tell the day-to-day -day fluctuations of how, when we have our better day, days where we look a little bit better and look a little bit worse. But if I were to take photos of myself from one day to the next, I'm not going to see a big difference. But when someone is really shredded or really lean, um, there can be noticeable differences from day to day. So I would say the leaner someone is, the greater um, difference that a peak week can make in improving their physique. Cool. Fantastic. And if we just jump over to Eric, uh, I'd love to hear, and guys, feel free to jump in after Eric's kind of said his piece on this. In terms of kind of uh, priorities for a physique competitor, where does peak week stand? Like how much of a difference do you feel like it really makes for a physique competitor? Um, yeah. yeah, that's a good question. I think um, it has this interesting like asymmetric um, risk reward ratio. So um, and because bodybuilding is an extreme thing and uh, in natural bodybuilding, we've inherited a lot of techniques that I would speculate came from a time when not only just was there enhanced bodybuilding, but there was enhanced bodybuilding that started with highly androgenic stuff that would create a lot of water retention. And then like every problem that they would create with, okay, well, I want to be big and huge. Uh, oh, okay. Some of these drugs make me retain a lot of water. All right, we need to use diuretics. All right, well, if I use diuretics and I got to do X, Y, and Z, um, we ended up with this kind of like Frankenstein mishmash complex, very step-by-step uh, -step thing that um, may or may not apply. I'll just go ahead and say does not apply to a lot of natural competitors. Um, so the things I've seen where people have been in pretty damn good shape, and if they just, you know, had 
basically a day at maintenance and stepped on stage the next day where they would look pretty damn good uh, and equal to maybe their a, a good day in prep and when they're like two weeks out. And then somehow managing to be at like 75% of that. I've seen that happen consistently. Like someone just kind of looks like they, they put a brown paper bag and then suck the air out of it around them and brown because, you know, dream tan. And then, uh, and then like the, so I, I would say there's a, there's a, a large opportunity to really mess up the way you look. If you go with some of the more extreme, very different to what you've done, nothing your body is adapted to, nothing you've trialed. Um, kind of wishing on a star hail mary uh but really actually like turning around and throwing it the wrong direction so it just like hits a fan in the face and they sue you um uh, versus i think best case scenario you can make a noticeable difference um you can get maybe five even in some cases like a 10 percent improvement if you were like really really flat uh during your prep and i think that that speaks to some of what what cliff is saying is that often this is my speculation of course um to get to the kind of condition that we think is appropriate and ideal, especially for the bodybuilding division, you get down to being such a lean state that you're chronically flat. So you're not only getting a potential little boost in, in your, in the way you look, but you're also correcting, like looking like you were totally jacked up and you're also just like the process of getting that beat up and what you have to do. You kind of look like someone jumped you in an alley. So it's like letting go of some of that nasty, weird, Rotter retention, correcting flatness, plus maybe a little boost. So I'd say like it could be as much in a best case scenario, like a 10% improvement in look. But if you really do the wrong things, it could be like a 20% decrease in how you look. I, I think, you know, Eric, we touched on this when we had that discussion in Singapore, um, I, when you were nice enough to have me on your podcast. Um, you know, and, and actually after that podcast, but I think we said something like, you know, on the plus side, you can have like a t- five to 10% increase, but on the negative, I mean, I mean, you know, like you said, maybe a 30% detriment if you do it wrong or maybe even 50 if you really screw it up. But I actually started using an analogy after that podcast we did. I told people like peak week is kind of like trying to steal candy from, from, from the gas station. Um, like, you know, if you reach for like one Snickers, you know, you're probably going to get away with it or maybe like two. Um, and on the plus side, you've got a couple of free Snickers. You know, if you get too greedy and try to grab too much candy, the detriment is you go to jail. Like, you know what I mean? Like, there's a real big, like, uh, you know. You get shot by a store owner, depending yeah, on what state you know? you're in. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. So it's like, you know, you, it, peak week is like stealing candy from a gas station. Like, just go for a little bit. Don't get way too greedy with it because you're just <laughs> like, you know, the, the, the risk of going, getting too greedy and going for too much is too great. So now we know what, what Cliff's childhood was like. <laughs> <laughs> I, I would be curious too. Um, something, something I know Cliff, you and I have talked about before too, but how, what, if, if you polled competitors, what percentage would tell you they looked better at one week out than they did on show day or like two days after their show versus show day? I bet that percentage is really, really high because a lot of them are doing a lot of the things like Eric said, the, the drastic changes that they haven't tested out and, I mean, there are times I'll have clients do drastic things in the last, um, you know, in the last week. I mean, I, I think back, I mean, I had a guy last year, he did, we didn't even deplete him and we did back to back 800 gram of carb days before his show and he looked awesome. Um, and, uh, you know, I wouldn't have done that had we not tested it. Um, but, you know, that's pretty drastic. Uh, and so, yeah, I mean, I, I think testing is, is things ahead of time is key if you don't know. Um, because you might find find out it works really well, or you might find out it works um, really crappy, you know, <laughs> and and uh, you know need you need to find you know another approach. Or sometimes you test something and it's like, oh well, I loaded, you know, we we're testing a more aggressive load, and hey, I I loaded, I don't know, 600 grams of carbs, and I look better. Could I, you know, if you had time, you could even test out well, is seven or 800 better yet, you know, and and start getting at some of that as well. But yeah, I would be really curious to see. Um, you know, what percentage of people say, oh, well, I, I looked better a week before or a couple days after because I, I bet it's a large percentage of competitors. And Pete, just out of interest, like, do you think, do you feel like people place too much emphasis maybe on peak week? And do you think some people would be better off focusing on like how much difference can posing or their tan make uh, on yeah. the day? Yeah, I mean, because peak week can, can definitely make a difference, but you know, I think a lot of times, I remember when I first started competing, so 
it makes me sound old when I say this, but like next week is I think 16, I think a week from today actually is 16 years ago, my first contest, um, 2004. I think it's a week from today. Um, and so, uh, you know, when I first started competing, we didn't have all the resources we have now. It's whoever is at your gym. And if you had someone really knowledgeable at your gym, you know, like that's who you used, you know? And, and so I remember like the, the, people at my gym would always say, oh yeah, peak week, you just make this huge difference. Like you come in and you don't look like you're ready. And then you, you know, you do all this stuff. And then on show day, you look awesome. And so like, that was what everyone thought it was. Like, it was like this magical week and it, it really isn't. I mean, you can, like Eric said, you can get five, maybe 10%, you know, improvement. Absolutely. But if you like, look like garbage a week out, you know, if you're not lean enough, if you don't look good a week out, you're not, I mean, five to 10% better than that isn't going to be, you know, the best you could be. You know, and so I think a lot of people need to focus first off on getting lean enough and being lean enough at a week out um, so that they can actually utilize peak week. And yeah, like you mentioned, things like posing can make a big difference. Make sure your tan is good. Um, you know, I was at a show last year uh, where there was a guy, he was backstage pumping up and I had a couple clients in the class as a pro class and all of us kind of looked at each other like, oh man, like this guy is going to be awesome. And they get out on stage and the guy had like no tan on. Um, and so you couldn't see anything. And so he ended up like fourth or something like that. And we thought backstage, he might take the whole class, you know, and, and, you know, tan made that big of a difference too. So yeah, there are definitely, um, variables, you know, that you can control outside of peaking. So it's, it's one of many things to consider. I, I think that one of the things that with like peaking being a variable is that, um, you know, when it comes to like, well, one, people do screw up tanning and posing. So, so commonly, you know what I mean? Like, um, but I think with peaking, um, it's something that maybe feels a little more, um, overwhelming to some people. So that's why they really want to like get really deep into it, you know, because like with tanning and posing, they think they've got, it's kind of funny. Like it's almost like this false confidence because lots of people are like, yeah, tanning and posing, that's easy. I've got that covered, you know, but it's this peak week puzzle I've got to put together, you know, um, where it seems much more complex, but like, um, I'm going to use one example, uh, my client, um, Corbin Pearson. Um, for a couple of years when he had been competing, I kept saying like, you know, we got to work on your posing. I need you to do some work on it at home. And he would do it, but he didn't really like throw himself into it. You know what I mean? And then, um, like this year he competed, uh, in classic physique and he took fifth at his first show of the year in classic physique pro division and it was good. But I, I was like, man, it's just posing. Like your physique was pretty much spot on. And then, we kept everything the same. And then um, so a couple months later, he did IPE World Championships. Only thing that changed was posing. Peak week was the same. Body weight was the same. Posing was the same. He went from fifth at a regular pro show to second at IPE World. And so, like, I think that it was just posing. So I think that, like, um, you know, when you're looking at, like, these peak week variables, though, um, it just seems really like a complex puzzle. But you're right. Like, people need to make sure, like, peak week posing, tanning are all, all in place. Um, but I think peak week just seems like a more overwhelming piece of the puzzle. Yeah. Fantastic. Cool. So we've established who peak week is for, uh, where it kind of lands within our priorities and some things that we can like easy wins, like posing to getting your tan, right. These are kind of easy things that you need to check off before you maybe move towards peak week. Cause like you guys already established, if you look fantastic a week out, you're going to look fantastic if you do nothing on stage or even like a, a refeed day at maintenance. Uh, so in terms of variables, we are manipulating. I know we've spoken about some of them already. Um, Eric, what kind of variables or maybe obviously there's so many, I don't know if we want to start off with nutritional variables. So kind of macronutrients, what's happening with those through the week, um, different approaches that you might have to carbohydrates, protein, fats, and maybe touch on water, liquids, sodium, potassium, uh, nutrient timing, food composition, all of those could come in uh, and supplementation, of course, that could also be there. Uh, I don't know if you want to yeah, take us through and I can always remind you if there's anything that was uh, missed out and we can have everyone chip in. Yeah, I think like you, like you, you said, like there's a, the laundry list of things that yeah. could be manipulated in peak week. And I think that lends itself towards a bit of a meta discussion of, of how to know what you need to manipulate and then kind of how we've gotten there eventually and maybe the perspective we should have. So I don't mean to like do a little like discussion of like, how do we know what we know and, and get this super like, like about epistemology. But so I think 
in the quote unquote evidence-based community or I'll say bodybuilding in general, um, we started with exactly what Pete said. You take someone who's successful and they give you a recipe and then you put it in the oven and you wake up on show day and you either are a cake or you just burnt some shit, you know? And, and unfortunately, like if you pulled an amateur show, there's a lot of burnt cakes. Okay. Um, so then kind of the next step when you've been burned a few times, that figurative works in two ways. Um, then you start to go, all right, well, let me, let me learn about this. Now, the problem about learning about this is there is a limitation to what you can learn about peaking from like going on the internet. There is people discussing it and then there are people writing scientifically about it, but there is not peaking science truly, except for one study that came out uh, last year that we reviewed in mass. Um, but um, it, for the most part, there is very little to truly like, like look at like a randomized controlled trial and they did this and that or even observational or anything. There's, there's hardly anything. So I remember going from just copying or what I heard of and, and like just kind of what Pete said to then, all right, I'm going to find somebody sciencey. Oh, Lane Norton and Dr. Joe said do X, Y, and Z. But then basically applying the same level of, of no critical thinking to it because it's too complex. I didn't understand it. They started talking about chemistry. My brain hurts, but I trust Dr. Joe and Lane. These guys are smart and scientific, so I'm just going to do it. And then again, I've got a better setting on my oven maybe, or at least my oven is hashtag science, but I open it up. And in fact, in, for most of my early career, I was still being a burnt cake. Just basically I had a, a more or a less likely to fail philosophy in that it wasn't su super aggressive. It wasn't mismatched for me being a natural. Um, and I was kind of taking the adage back in like the mid to late 2000s among the natural bodybuilding kind of science interested community was that, hey, it's better to be like 98% full than spilled over. Hey, be conservative. You know, 99% of it I've heard back in the day was what was stated. It's about being lean. So get shredded and the rest works itself out. There's no such thing as holding water. Kind of some things that I think we've softened a bit now here in 2020, in which we'll talk about more. Um, and then I think the third phase where you really want to get to with this is acknowledging we don't know shit. Okay. This is really, really complex. Um, the sodium potassium pump is, is, is not what we think it is and it operates. There's, there's different tissue compartments that we understand. Um, and a lot of the traditional lore is kind of like built in a house of cards and then we just keep stacking it up and we don't we understand why we look like a bunch of cards on the ground every time that one didn't work as well as the burnt cake. So, um, where you really want to get to is having a repeatable process in a system where you, when you turn a lever, you are expecting to see a certain result and then manipulating that in a systematic process without necessarily making assumptions about things. I think when you're that original competitor and you have a list for sodium, water, carbs, maybe fat and protein, uh, and then, you know, water intake and then certain supplements, all the stuff that you mentioned, because you've been told about them, you think every single one of them is important, equally important, delicately balanced, and are all interrelated. And that is true to some degree, but that's not useful. So I think what you really need to do is simply trial a few things, try to manipulate the fewest number of variables that actually gives you a return on investment, and then turn that into a repeatable process that especially as I think being a coach has helped me the most trying to find a system that I could at least take. And, you know, it's quite individualized and has a lot of plug and play compartments and apply it to everyone. And then you're actually going off of observed phenomenon that seems to be mostly repeatable. And it can prevent you doing, oops, I went down 30%. And at the very least, you're going maybe like, oops, I screwed you up a little bit. But most of the time, you're at least looking as good as you do on some refeed day where you, you weren't like jacked up from a leg day or something like that. So, and that, and that, that's kind of a reflection of, I think what we've got to and what I got to with 3DMJ where it's like, we're not fucking people up anymore, you know, or we're not leaving them really, really flat, which is kind of like the mid 2000s, 2010 or 11 kind of approach. Um, so yeah. So to now get down to the actual variables themselves, there's many different approaches. You could manipulate everything that we were talking about. What seems to make the biggest difference in my experience 
is manipulating carbohydrate. Um, and then, uh, you know, like I, it's, it's tough to tell people what they should do. Um, but typically what I do is I hold as many variables constant as I feel comfortable. And that's basically everything except sodium and carbohydrate is, is generally, there might be some small little things that are individual, but for the most part, that's what it looks like. And then I'm playing with, uh, increasing potentially water to some degree, but most of the time it is keeping everything except carbohydrate and sodium relatively flat and then pushing, uh, sodium a bit. Uh, at certain points, definitely pushing carbohydrate in most cases where I push the carbohydrate is one of the more bigger individualized variables. Uh, and then everything else, it's kind of like, all right, if I don't change that shit, then I actually know what is causing what. Um, so that's, that, that's the, the general principle, um, bigger physiological perspective, muscle glycogen, the more you have of it does seem to result in greater, uh, water retention within the muscle. Um, if you dehydrate and load, 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 uh, carbs, we've actually got data to suggest you don't get as much, uh, water in the muscle. Um, dehydrated muscle is smaller, unsurprising, uh, and you can only overcome that to some degree loading carbs. Uh, we also know that, uh, if you are messing with certain electrolytes, you can inhibit your ability to actually uh, digest carbohydrates because there's some, uh, sodium transporters that are, that are involved. Uh, with, with the transport of carbohydrates. Uh, we also know that uh, despite what we might think we know about the sodium potassium pump, um, if you drop your sodium really low, or if you get a weird imbalance between potassium, sodium, and other electrolytes that we decide don't matter for peak week, um, but probably do to some degree, we just don't want them out of balance, you can lower your blood pressure. Uh, and that makes it harder to get a pump, which results in a kind of a crappy look. Um, so there's a, there's a lot of things going on together at the same time. Um, however, uh, you can more or less reasonably and repeatably in a lean diet, a depleted body, bump sodium, bump carbohydrates, and at least keep water the same or slightly bump it. And you, you tend to be able to, Hey, I got a pump for the first time. I look full and just not overdoing that is essentially what peaking is, I would say for the most part. And then something that I'm sure Cliff and or, or all of us will talk about is then timing that appropriately so that what I think Cliff and I are now saying, your load look uh, doesn't interfere with the time you need to get on stage. And then being able to differentiate between what is actually being spilled over, what is just that transitional phase called a load look of actually getting everything in the place where you want it to and have you cleaned up. Uh, and then when are you actually stepping on stage? So that's where the, the balance is to me, is getting a repeatable process, knowing which lever levers to pull and having it be the fewest number of levers possible and then timing those lever pulls so that when you are cleaned up but not flat and still full and able to get a pump, you're on stage. Hi guys, Steve here. Just wanted to take a moment of your time to remind you of the Revive Stronger member site. Inside you'll find a thriving forum, a growing exercise library, presentations, research reviews, and courses. If you want to get involved, sign up via the description. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think that was extremely well said. And I guess if I wanted to maybe add one thing to it is like, I, I, I like what you said too about like the variables because like, um, I think, well, one, I, I almost feel like it needs to be said, like, especially newer competitors get into this and they're like, what's the protocol? You know what I mean? And it's so variable from person to person. Like you said, we have so many things that we think we know or, um, but we've seen how different people can react so differently to, you know, uh, protocol. So it's like, I think we we're always on that hunt to like take what we think we know about how the variables interact with each other along with then, um, producing some sort of repeatable protocol and then kind of like bringing those two together, you know, and, um, adjusting. So it's like when you find a, a process that is repeatable, um, you want it to, you know, it's, it's repeatable for that person, not necessarily, but we learn things that may apply to other people, but it's this specific process is really for that person. I think for me as a coach, one thing that drives me nuts is, um, and you know, I, I joke with some of my clients when they say things like, what about eating a bunch of pancakes before the show? And I'm like, that's tough. That's not really repeatable. Like how much syrup are you putting on that? What brand is the syrup? You know, what, how are they making the pancakes? What goes into it? It's not, it's not really a repeatable thing. You might do it and look good, but um, I can't guarantee we can do it again. So I guess at least for myself, um, 
I tend to manipulate more variables than other people, but like Eric said, I tend to start with less, with fewer variables that I'm manipulating, and then I branch out from there. So I kind of have like almost like um, four different levels, with like level one just being carbohydrates. But Eric said that's the biggest one, and then like level two would be water and sodium and potassium. So that would be like level two, and then level three, proteins, fats, and then training and cardio. And then like down to level four, just supplements, you know? So it's like, um, once I'm kind of certain I've got more of a handle on carbohydrates, then I'm going to really turn my focus to water and sodium and potassium and then, you know, so on. So, um, you know, it, it's like once you've mastered, you feel like you've really mastered one area, then you can go to the next and go to the next. I wouldn't suggest a newer competitor because, you know, all three of us up here, all four of us are speaking up here with the experience of speaking hundreds of, you know, athletes, that's quite a, um, that's, that's quite, uh, an advantage for us because we learn so many things and see so many repeatable things. Um, but I would say like for the competitor that's trying to prep himself or somebody who's new prepping other people, I would say like, like Eric said, keep it simple. Um, you know, keep it simple at first. And then once you feel like you've got something with this person, then you branch out in other ways. Cause even like the timing aspect of it, um, you know, Pete, when we wrote our book, uh, you know, I was saying like, I put, put in there like the load look because um, Pete and I tend to have even like differing load looks like Pete, when you load up, you look like sharp right away where sometimes I don't, I, I have a pretty tight load look, but it's not even like yours where other people like Eric, we were talking when we were saying like you load up and it's like, you need a couple of days, you know, for your, that crispness to return. Um, and then you're crisp and full. So it is, it is very um, interesting the individuality. So it's like, um, when we say searching for protocols and process, it's almost like you're searching for this person's protocol and process, not the protocol and process. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. No. And I, I would say too, I guess two things just uh, off that, you know, one is, you know, I know Eric talked about and Cliff too, about water, sodium, uh, and, and carbs being the three biggest factors. And I think, you know, if you look at most people who screw themselves up somehow, you know, like the worst, like those people that are losing like 30% of their physique, normally they're cutting some combination of those three, um, whether it be water, carbs, or sodium. And um, I, it's amazing how many times it shows, uh, back when shows had like the pre-judging break night show, um, it's amazing how many times I can think of over the years where like someone would come on stage to do their routine at night and you'd, you'd be like, wow, that guy looks amazing. Like, where was he this morning? And oftentimes you find out like, hey, they cut water or they didn't carb, you know, they cut carbs or they cut sodium. And then they went out and had like a meal in between pre-judging and the night show. And all of a sudden they had carbs and water and, and sodium again. And, and man, their physique just pops, you know, and it, it's back to like what it, it could have been. Um, it's amazing how many people you see, you know what I mean? That over the years that, that, that have that experience just going to shows. Um, and then, so that was one thought. And the other thought what I had was, you know, we we're talking about different load looks, different, um, you know, how, how you would respond to carbs and, and different timings and things. You know, a lot of times when people ask me, well, where do I even start with peak week? Uh, one thing I typically recommend is just looking at how you look around your refeed days uh, as you're getting lean over those last few weeks. You know, if you're two, three weeks out, like, do you look better the day after your refeed, do you look better two days later? Is it like four days before like you clean up your watery mess after a moderate refeed for four days? I, I mean, I've had clients like that where you do next to nothing for a load because, or you do it very early in the week because it takes several days to clean it up, not just a day. Um, and so I, I think that's a, that's a place I usually recommend people start is look at like, how do you look in response to carbs? You know, do you look, when do you look best? You know, and so then you can start piecing together. All right, well, this is where I probably need to time out my carbs, you know, and, and then from there you can look at, well, do I have time to test? Like how large does my load need to be, you know, or if I need a cleanup day, like, is that a more, just a regular day or can I do like a moderately high day that day? Um, and so that's where some of the testing comes in too. And oftentimes, even if you don't have time to test some of those other variables, if you're doing more than one show in a year, you can, you can kind of see like, you know, try some different things out, you know, throughout the year, Not, nothing crazy, like get the big, big picture things in place, but test some of those other smaller details out um, and kind of fine tune things throughout the year. I, I oftentimes find like the first time I peak someone for the year, if they're doing three or four shows, usually by the third or fourth time we're peaking them, we are, uh, you know, it's usually better. You know, I, I had a client last year where 
Um, I rapid backloaded. I, I rapid backloaded him into three of his four shows. First show didn't rapid backload him. He wasn't lean enough yet. We just kind of pushed. But the other three was. Um, we stayed fairly conservative the first time. Didn't work. You know, it just didn't fill him out enough. You know, we were too conservative. Second time, I thought we were good. I thought, I mean, based on how he looked at night, he was looking like I was he was supposed to the night before. Woke up just flat as hell. Couldn't even tell he had 1,300 grams of carbs the day before. Um, and so the third time, though, utterly nailed it. Best he ever looked. Took runner-up in like a one-point decision out of like six or seven guys at a pro show. It just utterly nailed it. Um, where, they, where like we got that extra five to 10%. Um, and, and it was, it was awesome, but it was one of those things where like, I somewhat screwed him up, you know, the first time we were playing around with stuff and we got better based on the feedback. Um, just, just cause of what I knew about him, I knew this is a protocol that should work well for him. And eventually it did once we got all the details down, but yeah, I think getting back to my first point though, I think just knowing like how you respond to a refeed is really important. Like I look better after a refeed day. I look better after large refeeds. Like Cliff said, I tighten up really fast. My wife, on the other hand, she'll look better after a refeed day, but the second day after is like her best look where it's like the best combination. Like she tightens up a little bit more, but she's still more full than she was before you loaded her. And so, you know, it, it's one of those things where, yeah, she's better the day after, but she's even better yet two days after. And so, you know, everybody's a little bit different. And so you need to, you know, that would be a, a good starting point for a pattern is or, or for, where your carbs need to be throughout the week is looking kind of at patterns around your refeeds. Fantastic. Cool. So we've got to a really cool place where in terms of nutritional variables, kind of manipulating the big ones, which is carbohydrates, maybe some sodium, maybe some water and keeping a lot of the other ones level and kind of maybe moving towards other layers as you've got more and more refeed data, which is kind of your testing ground. It sounds like is what the refeeds become kind of really uniquely beneficial for, which is fantastic um, because now people have like a process where they can think about these details. Cliff, you have something you want to say? Feel yeah. Um, you know, and I don't know if this is going to jump the gun with where you're eventually going, but you know, Eric and I, we, we had talked about this where like um, for someone who's just starting out with competing or newer to coaching, um, I'd really recommend uh, avid note taking on individual clients or yourself. When I first started coaching, I was probably a little too obsessive with it, but like I used to, um, sometimes I would like take, you know, progress photos of people when they were flat, um, you know, and I would, I would put it in their folder on my computer and label this flat because sometimes like flat and filled for some people can look really similar. And then I would kind of like after a refeed day, even just like try to fill them a little bit. And then I take out that progress photo and label it filled. And then I'd maybe make notes like tightens up, you know, a couple of days after refeeds or take pictures of that and put it in there just because um, is the more you can learn that individual's look and process, um, then you can become, get better at identifying it. Um, and I just think it really helps a lot because, um, you know, like one thing I always say, like doctors, one of the biggest things they have to be able to do is diagnose the situation in order to know what needs to be prescribed. Um, and I think one of the things is like, um, the hardest part as a newbie coaching or, you know, competitor is like diagnosing what, what does this look, you know what I mean? What is the situation I'm in? I don't know about you guys, but, but I remember like back in like 2010 when I was just starting out as a coach, like sometimes you get these progress pictures and you're like, all right, what am I looking at? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like what situation are we in here? Um, and so, um, I think just having really good notes about what has happened will give you a lot better information on what what will happen. Fantastic. But if I, I, I add a little bit to that, because I think that's a, such a good point, Cliff. The, um, like if you just start with, I, I did this and I looked better, I did this and I looked worse, that's okay. Um, and eventually, like hypothetically, if you tried in different enough combinations of things, you would eventually get to a, a good emergent strategy for peaking. But the problem is, is that there are so many variables and like realistically that would take like 15 years and like competing every year to actually figure that out. But if you can go right, I can identify what flat and what full and what spilled over is. And, and like, we know what these terms mean. And we've started with some assumption that at least those observations seem to be correct. Like when we we see what we've agreed upon as a culture is flat and we add carbs, it gets better. Like if you just start with that as an a priori assumption, then all of a sudden, like, like Cliff said, you're, you're in the right diagnosis place for the right prescription. 
And now you like, there's only like three options, you know, in most cases, right? Um, the problem though, is that I worry that someone who's listening to this, who tries to run this solo, um, almost invariably does it wrong. This, is, this goes so much better when you have someone else to give you their perspective. So doing this with a coach is really useful because I can tell you that the mindset, by the time you're ready to actually be lean enough to start peaking yourself, you get so focused on, is my glute have a new cut in it? <laughs> and can I see the vein in my ab that you will basically select what looks quote unquote best to be flat um, but lean, you know, and, and I want to see every single detail, not from where I'd be seated midway through, you know, the, the auditorium where the judges are like at the steps of, of, of the stage. But if I'm in my bathroom mirror, like doing this, like, like all up <laughs> in the mirror, like, can I see that one vein? And those are two very, very different things. So if someone is self-assessing, I think they actually need to take full body pictures from a little bit away uh, in the same lighting. And then look at the pictures, not in the mirror, as almost giving yourself some of that objectivity. And ideally even show that to someone who is not unfamiliar to bodybuilding, um, but is not close to you and wouldn't just be like, oh, what do you think? You know, like someone who could give you an objective eye um, and that can give you a much better perspective because what it looks like in the mirror to be peaked and, and amazing at your best and what it looks like on stage, how it feels to be uh, well peaked and, uh, and, and appropriately loaded. Um, and the, uh, the perspective of, of, of a coach and you can sometimes be drastically different. Um, so I think that's just a really important thing to add. So, so what you're saying is I should not send my progress pictures to my grandma for a critical eye? <laughs> I mean, it depends on what kind of relationship you got with your grandma and whether or not she was watching that 1981 Mr. Olympia. So. <laughs> I, I would I would also add to that though too with with the uh, you know having a coach in the objective eye, I think it's important too when you're coaching someone to establish a good relationship with them during prep and like a trusting relationship. Not just that they trust your feedback, but like if they do something not according to the plan during those final days, like that they let you know because I've had situations where I've gotten pictures and I'm like that that shouldn't have happened. Like what what's going on and and sometimes, you know, with a lot of my clients, like we have a good relationship. They're like, oh, I, I screwed this up. I didn't do this or I did this. And it's like, okay, well, we can, we can fix that. We can try to do whatever. Um, but I remember a situation a couple of years back, I had a client who, who flew to a show uh, and she sent me pictures that night and, and like on Friday, you know, the night before the show and it didn't look good. And I was, it was, it was bad. And I'm like, are we flat? Are we spilled? Like, what is this? Like, it, I, I'm like, I think she's full and spilled, but like we hadn't loaded that hard. Like, and, and we had run this peaking protocol before same body weight, just a couple weeks earlier, you know, what's going on. And we do some back and forth and it turns out, okay, well, what she ends up telling me is, yeah, well, I fell behind on food because of traveling and, and, you know, things getting thrown behind. And so I just had all of my, I had like three quarters of my carbs within the last two hours before I sent you these pictures because I, I was behind and tried to play catch up. And it was like, oh, okay. So like, there's your load look like you, you just loaded so much your body hasn't had time yet. And so we, we, you know, drastically pulled back then how quickly we were loading and the next morning we're far more conservative, had her pump, do more pumping and moving, you know, to try to get some of those, you know, some of that down. And she looked better by the time prejudging rolled around, but like two hours after that, she sent me some pictures where she looked just absolutely amazing. Um, so we didn't quite get there in time, but we could at least like, you know what I mean? We were making the right calls to head in the right direction. Um, just based on knowing like when, once I got that information out of her, like, oh, well, you had 75% of your carbs for the day within like a two hour window right at night just before you sent me pictures rather than spacing them out throughout the day so they can be assimilated. Like now we can do something about that. Um, you know, and so I think having that relationship with your clients that they can, you can, you can get some of that extra information because things don't always go perfect. You know, thing, things are off at times, even, even in competitors were high level, like things might, something might, they might not follow the plan perfectly at four days out. And you, you know, as long as they're telling you what they're doing, um, you can do something about that. And something you guys have all mentioned there, uh, I think is worth highlighting is how important kind of feedback and photos are and 
because you haven't manipulated maybe or you know what you've manipulated you've kept something steady steady you actually can then make a course correction because you know what has led to that kind of result um so i think that was yeah really valuable to highlight and i wonder if uh, i don't know if anyone has particular experience with this obviously uh, the refeeds are used as a bit of a testing ground is there ever a time where because potentially in the refeeds not as many variables are kept constant because oftentimes they're somewhat of an adherence tool and like a psychological break so then when you try and use that data for kind of peaking it doesn't always pan out like you expected it to have i don't know if any of you guys have seen that happen yeah yeah i i would say you know because i i use that and um you know, I, I would say if I'm doing a really large like test load with someone, I'll probably have them space their food out evenly throughout the day, you know, an X number of meals so that we're, we're, you know, so it can be predictable. I will, pro I'll probably have them eat lower residue foods, lower fiber, lower residue foods like we would the day before so they don't have a food baby, um, you know, and, and, and try to get a more accurate representation of I mean, what we're doing at the end of the day before the show. It might not be perfect, you know, what you're doing before the show, day before the show, but I try to kind of move it in that direction, especially if they're ready early, you know, we're two, three weeks out and we want to test a load that's maybe like twice the size of a refeed or something. Um, I, I try to start controlling a few more of those variables because of that. And yeah, so psychologically, this is also a useful way to get a competitor a little out of the obsessive kind of weird day-to-day -day food stuff that they get into and how refeeds become a vehicle to, you know, you might see people go either way. They can be like eating a whole bunch of diet foods and looking really weird and feeling bloated and like you feel bad for everyone in the house because of the gas they have. And, you know, they've, they've eaten an extra hundred grams of carbs just from vegetables in addition to the other extra hundred grams of carbs that are actually from like things that will turn into carbs when they, when they digest them all the way. Um, and if you go, hey, 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 you know, you're lean enough now that I really want to start paying attention to the time course of how you respond to the, this, this, you know, Saturday, Sunday refeed we've got going. So I want you to follow these principles, you know, and you just basically like, hey, like, we'll keep fiber under X. I want, you know, uh, most of your, your, your carbohydrate to come from uh, these sources. And uh, let's, let's eliminate too much, you know, no more than like one or two diet sodas and not a whole lot of Splendor or anything like that, just so we can, it just in case that's anything like that, let's control a few more variables, keep it a little more bro -y, but carb-based bro -y. Uh, And then like, like Pete said, like spread it out. And then let's be consistent with our fluid intake. Because man, like even an experienced competitor, they find themselves like they're getting up every two seconds to have tea, you know, or they, they, they look up and they've had like six diet sodas or, you know, they're snacking on, on like snap peas and shit like that. Like it just gets weird and you get like these weird digestive relationships and, um, you know, borderline, like e even the, 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 like the, the really crazy limits for what you're supposed to do for artificial sweeteners. You're, you're getting close, you know, um, <laughs> the things that scientists say you're never going to even have to worry about. So all that stuff, um, a good way to refocus a competitor and have them be like, Oh shit, it's game time. Like I'm six weeks out. Uh, is to say, hey, we're going to trial out your peak week here. And that, A, cleans up the information, but also kind of lets you see how much of this weirdness has been affecting them. Um, and I would say that there's an interesting thing. Like you can find out the relationship between someone's refeed and their timing and what's appropriate to load for them, and that's great. But in an ideal, ideal, ideal world, you get them shredded early, and then they start eating up into the show. And then all of a sudden, you find out something new. Like, like for example, my, my first shows that I did in 20, um, 2019, my first show in June and my show in April were based off of how did my refeeds go. But by the time I was, sorry, my, my show in early July, but the, by the time I did my last two shows in late July and uh, in August, the, the, the peaks were actually less conservative because I was walking around on maintenance calories all the time. So I wasn't flat. Like every morning, I pretty much looked the same and I looked good. And I could look a little bit better. But if I was to push things to the same degree and follow the same pattern I had when I was, uh, you know, shredded and flat and still trying to diet off a little bit more body fat, that would have resulted in me being pretty spilled over. Um, so I think it's, it's, it's kind of one of those, it's one of those fluid situations, no pun intended, that you have to keep an eye on. Fantastic. Yeah. Hey, Pascal here. I just quickly wanted to remind you of our online coaching service. 
At Revive Stronger, we put a huge emphasis on the personal aspect of our coaching. And if you want to take your physique and knowledge to the next level, hit the link in the description below. Yeah, I guess one more thing to add to that. And it's such a good question because it's also an experienced coach question. Because, um, <clears throat> you know, you, I think early on in our my coaching career, like sometimes I would give people that I would deem as a really moderate refeed. And then the next day I'd get a check in and they just looked like filled as hell. You know what I mean? I'm like, what is, you know, what's going on here? And they're like, well, you know, I got all of my carbs from, you know, Jello and Cocoa Puffs and stuff like that. And you know what I mean? I'm like, what? Um, and I'm like, you know, like that's, that's weird also. And, you know, of course you're like, you're probably having some real digestive problems. Um, and so, um, like, you know, they, they do get into some weird things. So I, I think like as an experienced coach, you learn to start like putting, um, you know, uh, restraints and structures in place to be able to get what you need information wise out of these refeeds, you know, like try not to let your sodium go above this, not let your fiber go above this. And, you know, even as you coach people, you start to see what their tendencies are. If you ask them questions and you're talking to them, you know, like if they're that person that's going to try to get like a hundred grams of carbohydrates from vegetables and you're like, why don't you not let your vegetables go above this, you know, and you, you really start to like set those, um, you know, it, it, like Pete said with his client, sometimes if something looks off, you need to ask questions like, why does this look off? So I, I would say like, you know, sometimes ask questions, trust your gut. If it's you, um, like if you're trying to get data from yourself on your refeed days, like you need to be honest with yourself easier said than done but be honest with yourself like is this going to give me an accurate assessment you know like eric said it might is it really a good idea to have these you know six diet sodas um you know should i really be eating this many of my carbohydrates from ice cream you know what I mean? like questions like that if you're really if you're on the, on the hunt for data cool yeah fantastic i think that just goes to show that if you want the refeed days to work as a kind of data point for your peak week, they need to be reflective of what you're going to do in a peak week. And uh, Cliff, you mentioned- like, Don't drink pickle juice today. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> uh, so Cliff, you mentioned, uh, obviously we've already mentioned sodium, but you brought up kind of fiber. Um, also, you guys brought up sweeteners. I don't know if like dairy is obviously one that people bring up. Are there any things- in a peak week that you're tapering off or avoiding um, and kind of, yeah, that, that might impact the physique that maybe people um, don't think about. Yeah. You mentioned a couple of them. I do try to reduce fiber a little bit, um, you know, cause uh, well, one, your, your food intake carbohydrates are usually rising in some degree or another going in. So it's like, if you're not careful. Sometimes that fiber can get out of hand pretty quickly. You know, if you're eating like a lot of potatoes and all this, you know, uh, whatever it may be, but it can get, so generally um, it can ease digestive stress. If you just maybe like have a slight taper of fiber and go with some more easily digestible stuff, even like jasmine rice is a pretty good one. Um, but um, sweeteners are one that, you know, it's kind of funny because like uh, I remember several years ago, everyone, it was kind of like this kick, like it doesn't matter, you know, just eat whatever, you know? And um, I, I saw some people in particular, um, have a greater sensitivity to things like artificial sweeteners um and you know there there is some research to show it can alter your gut bacteria a little bit so maybe you're messing with digestion and um and uh and so you know sweeteners can be one that you eliminate but um i do try to keep things you know at the risk of sounding like a bro here minimally processed um because processed foods tend to have um, you know, it's like while we manipulate variables, we also want to at the same time minimize variables. So it's like processed foods tend to have a lot of ingredients, you know what I mean? For preservatives or sweeteners or this or that. So it's like oftentimes I find that um, sticking with less, fewer, less processed foods, fewer processed foods, um, you can reduce those variables. And, you know, I don't know if you guys have ever seen this, but sometimes even just removing people's sweeteners, you can kind of see like a sharpening up because let's be real. A lot of times I think, um, you know, I can tell my clients, you know, try to keep your artificial sweeteners under control and not let them get, you know, a lot of times they're having more than they're even admitting to themselves. So, you know, I can say things like, you know, I, I, I kind of say like no artificial sweeteners during peak week, you know, let's remove, because I think it like 
rather than leaving it up to their judgment, I say like, cut it out this week. You can make it this week. You know what I mean? No more Splendas in the coffee, no more diet sodas. Let's just go cold turkey. And sometimes like, I'll just make that cut. Like I've changed nothing. And I can see like in two, three days, I'm like, wow, there's a pretty noticeable difference here. So, um, you know, easing up on the fiber, fewer processed food, removing the sweeteners. Those are like the three big things I tend to do with, um, you know, removing some of these, um, you know, lesser known variables where I just try to get them out of there. Yeah, I, I was, I would just add to that too. I mean, one thing I, I always try to emphasize to clients during, during prep, regardless of peak week or otherwise, is if your intake of, you know, things like sweeteners, sugar, alcohols, uh, fiber, high volume vegetables, like those are all the things, like things that competitors run to, right, to help with hunger because it increases your volume and things like that, you know, the xanthan gums and whatever else. Um, but if intake of any of those is too high to where you're having like GI symptoms, then it's too high. You know, like you, you need to pull back to a point you're not having GI issues from, from whatever it is you're doing. And a lot of times if you have someone that's pushing one of those variables so high um, that they're having GI issues, when you pull it out, like not only do you see them tighten up, but like they drop a couple pounds just from, I think probably intestinal water is what I'm assuming it is just from getting that out of there and, and fixing diet, having digestion be more normal, you know, and have them not being as bloated and gassy and have all of those GI symptoms. Um, but yeah, I, I, you definitely see that during prep. I mean, peak week or otherwise, you know, if someone's really lean and are having tons of like high volume veggies or artificial sweeteners or sugar alcohols or something, when you pull that out or, or at least significantly limit it, they tighten up. You're the same, Eric. Yeah, no, I, I, I totally agree. I, I, um, that's, yeah, like people experience, um, GI distress during prep due to the, the stress of prep and the changes physiologically, but also due to the psychology of prep and the way that influences food behavior. Um, so you can't fix all of that. Um, you know, if you got someone eating up and if you've got them to do the things that, uh, that, that Cliff said, like making their diet a little more minimalist, uh, a little less processed, um, it gets a lot better and you typically will see improvements in, in the way they look. Um, cause it's almost like this feedback mechanism as well. Like your body weight's not going down, your body weight's higher. Uh, you have uncomfortable digestion and as a consequence, you feel like the diet's not working. Um, you're looking a little worse, but it's due to weird, weird fluid stuff. Your scale weights up. Uh, you've been so focused on looking better and your scale weight going down. So then you get stressed and it makes those things worse. Um, and that's just a, a slight little, uh, aside is that another reason why I try to keep it as simple as possible, especially within the experience of the person. Like if, if I do want to manipulate something like, uh, like potassium or something, or if I want to play with something, I'm not going to, I will try to tell them to eat a food rather than being like, Hey, I want to try to do this. Like if I can just tell you to eat potatoes and it changes your, your potassium sodium that I want in you, that's a really simple thing. You're like, all right, cool. Coach city potatoes, not, Hey, I'm trying to mess with your electrolytes just as, as, as a little experiment. And I'm going to have you try to hit this milligram target, you know? Um, so I think the more you can do it, especially with less experienced or just really, I'm going to say neurotic clients. And I don't mean that as like a, a knock against them, but I mean, it's very normal to get, everyone's going to be a little more neurotic at this stage. It's just like the people who are really, really stressy. Um, you, they need to understand that um, you've got a process. It's worked previously. You've, your work is not going to disappear in the blink of an eye. Like our philosophy of doing this is, is not one where you could get that minus 30%. Worst case, you're going to look a little off, but you're still going to have like the rewards of all your hard work. And even that will make their look more consistent. Um, so I think, yeah. So to answer your question, yes. And then also it helps psychologically. And I think that makes a sometimes a larger difference than, uh, than you'd expect. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Stress yeah. in sorry go on cliff no no and, and you know you nailed it is like uh i think that some competitors are more susceptible to this than others uh, i would say the ones that tend to be a little more uncomfortable with being uncomfortable like the people who um always are searching to feel full 
um, and get their like satisfactions met with like sweeteners and whatnot. You know, they're the ones that like they dream about peak week and like um, their look almost takes a backseat to I'm going to finally be able to eat. Do you know what I mean? Like, um, like if you're, if you're more looking forward to feeling full during peak week than looking better and maybe feeling a little better, then you need to watch yourself because like, you're going to be that person who's like, you know, if I just had a, you know, hundred grams of vegetables, I'm going to feel so full for these couple of days. And like, that's like Eric said, that's when you're going to start hitting a digestion issue. So I would say like, try to keep perspective. You're almost there. It's one week out, but keep perspective, like put the, put the look you know, you can enjoy having more food, of course, but like put the look a little higher on the priority list of like trying to stuff yourself and feel, feel full. Cause also we, I think we'd all agree, like, um, even like when you stuff yourself to when you're full, when you're super lean, you still don't necessarily feel like satisfied. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it's possible to have your stomach packed full of food, but still crave food. <laughs> Yeah, you can have food in your esophagus and you need to sleep in a chair that night and be be risking vomiting and you're like, I'd love, love another piece of cheesecake. <laughs> you know, yeah, it's not going to help. Uh, yeah. No, that's, that's one of those things that I always tell clients. Like you can't explain that feeling to someone <laughs> until you've been lean and know what that feels like. Like when your hunger hormones are so off that like you're in a ball full you know, you're, you're in a ball, like curled up in a ball so full, but you have this drive to like, I need to eat more. Um, you know, it, it just, it, I mean, you do, you, you, you know, compete enough times, you get there enough times, you know what to expect. But like the first time around when you get that lean, it's, you can read about it in a book all day long, but man, like you, you just, that's something you can't know until you felt it. I, I don't know about you guys, but like when I get like a first time competitor and they're like, you know, we're carving them up. And I feel like a lot, some first time competitors really like say, I feel like I can handle more carbs. You know, we've already given them a lot. I'm like, I don't think you're going to be trusted right now. <laughs> no. <laughs> well, I, or I would, I would say too, when you're loading someone, you talked about loading off, you know, too many vegetables. I, I've, I've seen the other extreme too, where it's like their carbs are going to be really high. So they start, start telling you about all the stuff they're going to eat oh, yeah. uh, or they want to fit in. Or they start talking about like, Oh, after my show, I'm going to have this. And you know, like, it's like, well, let's, let's, focus on your peak week here. Like it's not the meal after your show. Like I'll have clients ask me like, where are we going to go out to eat after the show? You know, if I'm coming to their show and I'm like, well, we got a week to figure that out. Like let's, let's, let's worry about your show and your peak here. First. Have any of you guys ever had protein fluff? And do you know what that is? I do know what yeah. that is. <laughs> My stomach doesn't like it. Oh, that's Gallon bad. <laughs> <laughs> that's the feeling of the bloat with the hunger still being there. I can remember yeah. that. Yeah, and like even like um, I've seen some people get like blurry from like little Walden Farms products. Um, like they just use those Walden. Do you guys know what those are? The Walden Farms like products, and they, you know, there's like I think there's like syrup and chocolate syrup and stuff like that, and they just have too much of it. And, you know, especially like, um, especially if you don't limit those types of like diet foods, um, especially the auxiliary ones as carbohydrates go up. You know what I mean? Like. Um, oh, you know, I have room to fit in these protein pancakes now in my peak week. And then here comes the Walden Farm syrup. You know what I mean? And it's like, it's calorie free. The, like as food comes up, there's more chances for these like auxiliary sweeteners to keep piling on top of it. So I'm Steve Hall, founder of Revive Stronger and a coach of Revive Stronger. My name is Pascal Floor. I'm the co-owner of Revive Stronger and also a coach, of course. Revive Stronger has probably been going solidly for three years, probably roughly about three years. Revive Stronger to me, it is becoming kind of my child, my foster child. It's the gathering and getting together of like-minded people. We've been expanding the coaching team, which is helping us help more people. Uh, but each coach can only help a certain number of people. Right now, it's all over the place. We have YouTube, we have Facebook, we have Instagram, but there isn't that community aspect behind that. And so the next step for us is developing a membership site. So basically, we want to create a family and a community that is then benefiting from another. A really cool community for people within our little niche is going to be a website. They will get early access to our podcast. You can access us, ask us questions, the community aspect. We have a forum there. You can ask questions, but also you can, you can lock your journey. It's also going to be 
courses on there, courses, presentations on different topics, discount of past seminar footage. We will log our journey as well. We'll start vlogging. We're gonna have documentaries, our entire athletic journey. Furthermore, they get access to an exercise video library. The exercises that we love for hypertrophy and maximizing hypertrophy, we're gonna go through those in depth, telling you how to execute them. We cap them concise and also mobile friendly so that you can watch them in between your sets. I'm super excited to grow this community. The amount of value that we're gonna be delivering is huge. And I'd love you to be part of it. You will get so much out of that. I'll see you inside.